Nostalgia, a historic true crime podcast, formerly known as The Good Old Days. I am Jasmine. I'm going to be your host. And I am back. Welcome to what would be season three. I will be taking lead from here on out. So things are going to be a little bit different. And if you follow us on social media, you probably already noticed some of those changes, including that we have updated all of our handles. And that is on Twitter and TikTok to at darknostalgia underscore and on Instagram and Facebook to at darknostalgia works. Maggie and I decided to start a business so we can start providing more content and services to all of you listeners. With that change, The Good Old Days has been rebranded to Killing Nostalgia. And going forward, I'm going to be covering some stories that focus on dark, morbid, spooky side of history, because that is what you all seem to love so much. The Saturday Short Stacks will be continuing as well to provide history bites to keep you all entertained over the weekend. I'm not sure yet if I will have one out this coming Saturday, but definitely by next Saturday, those will be back on the roster. Speaking of bites, you can also keep an eye out for my new project called Dark Nostalgia Bakes, which is where I've been taking old recipes from cookbooks from like the 17 and 1800s and translating them to fit our modern kitchens. And it has been a blast. Um, (laughs) Some messes, of course, but also I've been able to create some really tasty things that I am excited to share with you. In addition to all of that, our website has updated so you can keep up to date with everything that Maggie and I are working on. And you can find that now at darknostalgiaworks.com. Don't worry, our old URL still works. So if you have it saved, it'll just redirect you to our new page. And as always, we would love to hear from you. So if you have any episode suggestions, anything you want to see from us, any comments, questions, anything like that, reach out on any of those platforms and let us know what you think. With that being said, I would like to dive into today's topic. I'm going to start with nostalgia. It's in our name. It's in the podcast name. And I think it's an appropriate place to begin this new season. And specifically, I want to look at what is nostalgia? And how do we define that today? How have we defined it over the ages? And while it all sounds, well, nostalgic, being in a state of nostalgia traditionally was considered to be a negative thing. In fact, it was considered to be a disease that was studied by doctors. So I want to know, when did we stop thinking of it that way? As a historian, I have run into the issue of nostalgia clouding our view of history more times than I can possibly count. And I know some of you out there are also historians or armchair historians or just enjoy history and probably have run into this issue as well. When we listen to stories, when we read stories, what point of view are we getting? Is it a reliable point of view? And we've all heard that term, reliable narrators. Well, honestly, studying nostalgia from this point of view, I would argue that perhaps we're all unreliable narrators, even when it comes to our own story. Because how we tend to remember and reflect on things is a little bit different than how they probably were portrayed. And just as an example, if you sit in a room with someone and watch the same TV show, you're probably going to describe that differently than the person sitting next to you, even though your surroundings were the same, the show you were watching was the same, but you're bringing your bias, your perspective to that. And I know that's a very mundane example, but that is something that we can all relate to. 
I think for most people, when they hear the term nostalgia, it evokes warm, dewy sentimentality for the past. But that's not always how it's been looked at. And especially recently, this this idea of nostalgia has become, well, more debated, I would say. So let's start by actually looking at what the definition of nostalgia is. The most up-to-date definition that I could find was in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it has two definitions. The first being a state of being homesick or homesickness. And the second definition is a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or of some past period or irrecoverable condition. But psychology also teaches us that there are two different types of nostalgia. The first being restorative, and this is perhaps a more dangerous type of nostalgia. Restorative nostalgia is a desire to reconstruct, return to, and rebuild things to the way they were in the past, ignoring any issues. This type of nostalgia is thinking that things were genuinely better in the past and wanting to regain that. The second type is reflective nostalgia, which is a longing or yearning for days gone by, but realizing that the past is the past. It's a fond memory, a feel-good reflection, and oftentimes this is accompanied with a twinge of sadness. Now, I am not a psychologist at all. I have no qualifications to be teaching anyone on psychology. A lot of this does involve psychology, though. So I have pulled some really good articles from actual people who know what they're talking about. Everything in this episode comes from that, um, and then deductions that that they have made or articles have made. And I will post all of those on the website so you can see all of them, some really interesting studies too. So go and check them out. So where do we get this term, nostalgia? And that's interesting in and of itself. It was coined by a Swiss medical student named Johannes Hofer in the 17th century. He was writing his medical dissertation and he witnessed these soldiers that felt a longing for home that he wanted to try and find some sort of definition for. And he creates this word, nostalgia, and he basically takes these two ancient Greek words and smashes them together to create kind of a pseudo- ancient Greek terminology that was all his own. And he takes the term nostos, which means a return to home, and algia, which means pain or ache. And I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing any of this, but he he smashes these words of return to home and pain together. And that's, I guess, a little bit of where this homesickness idea comes from. What he was likely observing was people having genuine emotion, maybe PTSD, maybe anxiety or depression. It's impossible, of course, to know because no one alive today that has analyze this could possibly know what the soldiers that he was observing were going through. But that's essentially what he was describing is he's describing some of the symptoms of some of these mental health issues that we today can put into words that we can put into a sort of category for lack of a better description. And again, today, I I still don't believe that we know 100% of exactly what we're doing. You know, the human brain is incredible. And there's so much that we don't know. Five, 10, 100 years from now, there'll probably be even further descriptions to describe what is going on here. But he goes on, Johannes, to write in his dissertation that this is a curable disease. He believes that 
as now it has been identified that this is something that doctors can go on to study and help people overcome. He suggests that a visit to the fresh air, specifically, of course, the Swiss Alps, would help and suggests that if the fresh air, specifically the Swiss Alps, do not help, that perhaps leeches or even opium could alleviate some of these symptoms. Give everyone some opium, I guess. That aside, this does become a real concern for doctors. And over the next several hundred years, including up to today, they will study this idea of nostalgia. During the 18th century, doctors had become convinced that nostalgia actually came from a bone in the body and searched for it to no avail. Of course, nostalgia does not originate with a bone in your body. We know that today. But they they were convinced that there was a physicality to it. And again, this is before we have a good grip on psychology. Doctors continue to try different treatments in addition to the ones that Johannes recommended and started noting down all different symptoms, including fever, low energy, heart issues. And they also feared that it might be contagious. They found that this was especially true among soldiers. They also noted that on occasion, it would become fatal. Although I find it interesting that cause of death is never noted. Moving into the 19th and 20th centuries, nostalgia was often referred to as quote-unquote immigrant psychosis and or mentally repressive compulsive disorder and coincided with the rise in popularity of the dreaded asylum and the study of the human brain. Now, asylums are a whole separate issue that I will do an episode on, but they were awful. People were pretty much abandoned, tortured, abused. They were not good places to end up in. And again, I'll do a whole episode on asylums because they are fascinating and terrifying and tragic and lasted for way, way too long. Nostalgia became a quote unquote disease that a lot of people were put into asylums for. And nostalgia really covered a very wide range of things. For some people, it was just overtly expressing emotion. And like I said, for some at worst, it was PTSD, depression, or anxiety. I should say it was likely PTSD, depression, and or anxiety. We can see this particularly play out in a couple of cases that were noted by a French doctor in the 1830s and 40s. He wrote and published a story about a boy that was under his care that had become, quote, pale and weak. The boy started refusing all food, even foods that it was noted that he had once enjoyed. And he noticed that the boy remained quote-unquote, sadly immobile for hours at a time. He also describes him as generally unhappy. The doctor describes this whole thing as we might today describe separation anxiety. He just didn't have the terminology for that yet. This child would definitely not be the only one experiencing this because a lot of parents note after it's published that theirs had experienced something similar. And the way that this doctor cures this child is to bring back his beloved nanny that he had been separated from before he started experiencing all of these symptoms. And that changed his entire mood and outlook as soon as he saw her. The doctor then claimed to have cured this boy, and that was the root of this issue. In fact, nostalgia, based on cases like this, often got associated with childhood. I wouldn't say it was considered a childhood disease, but it was often seen as having attachments to childhood. In fact, having obsessive attachments to something in the past. And this could have been a person, a place, 
a thing dependent on the individual case. Another story that this doctor wrote down was that one of his patients, who was an adult, had lived in this same property for most of his life. It was a rented property, and one day, the landlord had told him that the property was going to be demolished and he would have to move. In response, the patient became very upset, inconsolable, and he would spend months in bed. He also developed a slight fever and just became really a shell of himself. The doctor was not able to do anything for him, and on the day that the building was meant to be demolished, the man was found dead in his apartment. There was no further information on what this man had died from, and so that is kind of where the story ends. But the doctor uses this as an example of an obsessive attachment to something. More recent research also supports this doctor's idea. In the 1970s and 80s, a research project suggested that nostalgia could make certain psychological conditions worse due to the sense of sadness or loss some people experienced with nostalgia. These findings actually supported theories doctors had held and debated for centuries. And that was, was nostalgia a standalone condition or did it serve as just an influence? And most doctors or people who studied this supposed disease did tend to fall on the side of it serving as an influence, a negative influence, when people were suffering from other things, other ailments. However, more recent research has flipped that whole narrative on its head. In the late 90s, Southampton University in the UK started this nostalgia workshop, nostalgia research, with a Dr. Sedekides and Tim Wildshoot, a psychologist. And there was a whole team of people working on this project. They are still working on this. Essentially, the root of their findings was that nostalgia makes us a bit more human. They developed a seven-question test known as the Southampton Nostalgia Scale, and I will post this on the website if you are interested in seeing what those questions are. Their findings were that people experience nostalgia or experience nostalgia at least once a week, and nearly half the population experience it three or four times a week. They also found that children as young as seven experience nostalgia, and they say that it's not the same thing as homesickness. Homesickness is a whole separate thing apart from nostalgia. And I would say it's probably too, well, I can't say anything because I'm not a psychologist. But to me, it seems like this is kind of two sides of the same coin, if that makes sense. Homesickness is a form of nostalgia that is different than the type of nostalgia than this study was looking at. And part of the reason I say that is there one of their tests that they conducted in this study, they would have people read about a disaster, something deadly, and take a personality test that always showed they were lonely regardless of their results. And essentially, those two things combined were supposed to put people in a state of sadness or a, a bad state of mind. The test subjects were more likely to be nostalgic following this test. And when they became nostalgic, it made them feel less depressed about what they had just experienced. Following this test and other studies conducted by Southampton University, they found that people tended to have a better sense of self-continuity and community following being nostalgic and especially being nostalgic on a regular basis. In fact, I, I pulled this quote from one of their studies. 
Nostalgic stories often start badly with some kind of problem, and then they tend to end well thanks to the help of someone close to you. So you end up with a stronger feeling of belonging and affiliation, and you become more generous towards others. And that kind of goes with storytelling, right? There, There's a beginning, middle, and an end. It's wrapped up in a nice, neat bow. There's a problem that the hero has to solve, and there's a tale of overcoming. And those are those feel-good stories. And if we can create those in our own minds and put ourselves at the center of them, it creates a positive reaction from us somewhere. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I have no idea how the human brain works, but this is what I'm pulling from this study. The doctor also said that because of all this research that he has done, he now practices what he has coined as anticipatory nostalgia and says that he never misses opportunities to build positive memories that he can be nostalgic about in the future. So essentially creating this bank of nostalgic memories. And from this set of experiments and tests and everything else in the late 90s and early 2000s, it kind of kicked off a renewed interest in nostalgia and the human brain. The Netherlands conducted their own set of experiments that found that people listening to songs that made them feel nostalgic also made them feel warmer physically. Following this, an experiment in China found that people in cooler rooms were more likely to be nostalgic than those in warmer rooms. Not everyone in a cooler room turned to nostalgia, but those who did reportedly felt warmer. And from this grouping of tests, it has been theorized that could be an indicator of survival tactics that we as humans have evolved. This idea that drawing on a memory of comfort can somehow keep us going for longer in extreme situations and make us fight for survival. Now, of course, many of us will never have to experience that type of thing in our lifetimes, but it's still an interesting thing to think about. Overall, these more recent studies have also shown that nostalgia can counteract loneliness, boredom, and anxiety. And overall, is a positive thing, not this very negative disease that early doctors believed it to be. How should we look at nostalgia today? Should we look at it as something unwanted that we need to treat? Or, as these more recent studies have suggested, and something harmless or even good for our health? I think this really goes to prove that point of everything in moderation, right? While science has dispelled the centuries-old belief that nostalgia was a disease and it actually supports that nostalgia can be good for us, some people's desire to return the world to times gone by in that restorative type of nostalgia is stronger than their common sense. And perhaps that is part of that evolutionary primal aspect linked to nostalgia. For example, Hitler, in part, rose to power on the promise to make Germany a great country, a world-dominating country, as many had supposedly remembered it prior to the Great War or World War I. He preyed on people's nostalgic ideas of a past that had never really existed, and the desire for that imagined world allowed many people to overlook terrible things. Mussolini kind of did a similar thing. He used Latin to liken himself to the rulers of the Roman Empire. People literally cheered for him as he announced Italy was a fascist empire because it evoked the kind of nostalgia for when Italy was the center of the Western world. And he made that announcement in Latin. 
People recovering from addiction often refer to nostalgic thoughts about times they were doing whatever they were addicted to as romancing it. It is considered a danger and accounts for a high rate of relapses. And as a society, we have near universal historic nostalgic notions that can be harmful to others. For example, the old cowboy versus Indian trope that accounts for erasure and so many problematic themes. Speaking of cowboys, our nostalgic view of John Wayne does not actually represent what the average cowboy looked like in the 1800s, as many were free black men. In addition to that, women helped build the West and often get reduced to sex symbols and sex workers and helpless damsels in later representations. I think the lesson here, again, is that too much of anything is not good. While a little bit of nostalgia from our own lives could be considered good for our mental well-being, applying nostalgia to events that we have not experienced or have become convinced that we could experience if only whatever, I think that becomes a very dangerous game to play. I would love to know your thoughts on this. So please comment, slide into my DMs. Is nostalgia dangerous? Well, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at darknostalgia underscore and Instagram and Facebook at darknostalgiaworks. For all the things that I am currently working on, have a look at the website, darknostalgiaworks.com. You can find all the previous episodes, sources, photos, videos, things that I'm working on, Dark Nostalgia Bakes as soon as I upload that, and whatever else might come of this. You can also find me on Patreon if you would like to support the show. There is a link through the website as well. And that is it. Thank you again for listening. If you haven't already, follow, subscribe, rate, and I will be back with you next week. Bye-bye.